Hey friends, it's Mark James. <laughs> that feels weird even just to say. I mean, I say that sentence all the time. I say, hey friends, my name is Mark James and welcome to, you know, my show. Or hey friends, it's Mark James, nice to meet you all. Comedy magic, yada, yada, yada. But saying, hey friends, it's Mark James into my phone to record a podcast is something that has not happened for a good amount of time. In fact, it was June 15th, which I just looked up, was 103 days ago. 103 days since I last recorded a podcast. Which is crazy because a year and a bit ago, that would have been 103 podcasts ago. Or, you know, a year ago, that would have been 12 podcasts ago. Or whatever, no, let's say we just over three months. It might have been 13 or 14 podcasts ago. But as it turns out, it's one podcast ago. The last time was June 15th, which seems a bit insane. What's funny is I had a feeling that it was going to be the last podcast, but I didn't know. I was determined to keep going until my birthday. And then a lot of stuff happened. So don't worry, I'm not just going to swan back into your lives as if nothing's happened. I recognise it's been a time. I recognise there's catching up to do. I recognise there are things to say that need saying. And I'm going to say them. <laughs> so hold on to your hats. Strap in. It's time for the Hey Friends fun bus to set off again. And what the hell has been going on? Gosh, it's been a really, really wild three and a half months. So many things have happened. I've got notes on things that have happened this week and I realised I was going to start the podcast again when I realised I was taking notes. I just kind of took a few notes and then I thought, huh, I've taken real notes this week about things that are going to happen that I want to talk about. So I guess I'm here. Uh, I'm sitting. I mean, how do we even how do I even do this thing anymore? I don't I, I've forgotten. Um, if you're happy that the podcast is back, is it back? I think it's back. Do I do every week now? Do I do Mondays? Is it a Monday podcast? Is it sporadic? Is it every week? Maybe it is every week. I feel like I could do every Monday again for a bit. The thing is, right, I've got five weeks until the sort of end of the season. And then I'm basically off for four months. <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit nuts. I've got a few things on. I've got a cruise. I'm performing at... Um, have they announced... They have announced Magifest. Or have they announced the session? Fuck me, I can't remember which one's which. Well, anyway, I'm doing two magic conventions. Sorry, Andy, if that information's not out yet. But I'm doing them. And um, I've got some other stuff on. But basically, I've got a lot of free time. So doing the podcast again will be good. I'm also going to do some online shows. I'm going to use the studio a bit. I'm going to continue working on my book. I might do some um, self-release magical instruction things on various tricks. Don't really know. I've got a few ideas kicking about. So, I mean, I still haven't really... I've done a bit more work on the book, but not as much as I should have done. But, it, but we continue to move forward. But what I was going to say was, if you're happy that this podcast is back in any way, if indeed it is back, and it feels like it might be, then you have Bill to thank, my Canadian friend, Bill Sandford. He um, he was the one who basically gave me a lot of shit until I started doing it again. Just kept messaging me saying, well, not kept messaging me. It wasn't to the point that it was, you know, 
he's not uh, harassed me or anything, but he basically just said, you should start doing the podcast again. I liked it. And I said, okay, fine. I'll do it then. And here I am doing it. So thanks to Bill, the podcast is back. Hey, Bill. <laughs> um, yeah. So what to talk about? Well, I suppose the main thing, the sort of elephant in the room, the thing that I need to, to talk about qu- most quickly, and I'll be honest, a huge part of not doing the podcast, I can't kind of... The thing that keeps putting me off is that I don't know how to address this thing, even though we're now in a good news position. But the last thing I was talking about on the podcast, the kind of main news, was that Sarah had been having some medical trouble in that. So let's go back to the beginning. You should know that this story has a happy ending, okay? I don't mean she wanked me off at the end of a massage. (laughs) Um, She did not wank me off at the end of a massage. And that is possibly the second biggest problem in my life. Um, I can't wait for her to listen to this. She'll say, I can't believe it was four minutes 55 when I said that. You didn't even make five minutes without mentioning someone getting wanked off. (laughs) we really are back come on podcast friends so um yeah it has a happy ending and um she was she had a melanoma which is a skin uh cancer on her back this is quite a long time ago now that got removed we were desperately worried especially me i worry about these things much more than she does sarah sarah worries about them but her worry lives more deeply under the surface than mine. Her worry may actually, or inevitably, because it's about her, be greater than mine, but it lives more deeply under the surface. My worry is very much on my, you know, heart on sleeve, open. I cannot help but think about, talk about, worry about. It's just so present for me. Sarah has a tremendous virtue of being able to just get on with things. She doesn't really bleat or moan. She just keeps moving forward. And she's a trooper. She really is like a wonderful, hardworking, exemplary sort of example of stiff upper lip, that British attitude of keep calm and carry on. Sarah really sort of fairly embodies that. I don't at all. Um, So I'm not saying my worry is bigger than hers because it wasn't because it was about her what i'm saying is mine was very very present in my conscious thought and i struggled with it a lot we we're very worried about the skin thing then it got removed and this is old news to a lot of you but just to catch you up they took it off they tested it they said it was cancerous so then they call you back in and then they take more skin off around that so they take a bigger patch of skin around where the initial thing was And they test that. And if that doesn't have cancer in it, then they say the cancer was on you rather than in you. You are now cancer free. And and then you go on and you live your life and that's it. And then like a year later, she finds this lump under her arm and she had to dig quite deep in her arm to find it. She found it because she was doing the old Rosemary Connolly DVD exercise and um, she was stretching and she felt some pain. And when she felt in her arm, there was a lump. And she asked me to come and feel it, and I felt it. And it was like a golf ball, but it was deep in her arm. But it was big. It was not a small lump. It was very big. She went to the doctor. The doctor felt it. He looked worried immediately, referred her to the hospital. We went up to the hospital. They felt it. They said it felt weird. They gave her uh, an ultrasound, and they gave her a mammogram. And they said, it doesn't appear there's anything in your breast, 
but based on the ultrasound, there is a dark presence at the center of that lump and we don't like it. So we're gonna refer you for a blood test. So then she had some blood extracted from it. There was a little incision. They took some of it out. They examined that. They said, yes, you absolutely do have cancer, which is then classed as a lymphoma because it's in your lymph nodes. So they said, we're going to take, oh, we're going to give you a PET scan. And the PET scan, um, let me just search the name. What? Hold on. What? I'm at the computer as well. What does PET scan stand for? I can never remember the PET scan. Positron emission tomography. A positron emission tomography scan. Imagine that. And this is basically the tube that you lie in. You'll have seen you'll have seen this thing where you lie on a bed and you slowly get fed through a tube uh, and the and the machine scans all of you. Now, this is usually used for cancer, heart disease, brain disorders. They scanned her brain as well. They scanned her entire body. It takes like 40 minutes. But before that, and you have to lie perfectly still. It's incredibly hot. It's very claustrophobic. It's horrendously uncomfortable. But before you have that scan, you have to have an injection of sugar. But that sugar, that sugar has a sort of nuclear radioactive element to it. And because the sugar goes to every single part and system of your body within an hour with this radioactive element, it basically allows a map of your body. So the scanner scans the radioactive element, as I understand it, and it allows a sort of map of your body. And the brighter this thing glows up, uh, it shows the areas of your body that are using the sugar uh, most. And because cancer is a disease that doubles and doubles and doubles, it grows the cells in a certain way. It uses a lot of energy and sugar. So you're not allowed to move, essentially. They give you this injection, and then you have to lie completely still as much as you can for an hour so that the sugar can transfer around your body naturally without being used by any specific muscle groups. And I had to leave the room, and the injection came in in a little lead line box and all that sort of stuff. Then you go in the scanner, and then we went on holiday. More on that in a bit. Um, but we went on holiday, and we got the result on the very last day of the holiday that the cancer was localized just in the armpit, which at that moment was the very best news we were capable of getting. The best result you can get at this point when you're in the PET scan situation is that cancer is only in one place on your body. That's how they determine the sort of stages. You'll have heard stage one, stage two, stage three, etc. Stage one is um, on top of your skin. Stage two is in the skin. Uh, stage three is inside of internal organs. And stage four is multiple organs, I believe. Again, don't come to me for facts. This is, was a very difficult time that I tried not to Google stuff and yada, yada, yada. But um, that's basically, again, as I understand it. And Sarah was considered stage three because it was inside of her body, but uh, it hadn't spread anywhere. So that was good. It was the best news we could have. Eminently fixable, they said. So then she had to have an operation to have her lymph nodes removed. And there are 27 lymph nodes in your armpit. And they basically operate as filters, multiple filters. So your lymph nodes can swell for all sorts of reasons. They're in your neck, your groin, your armpits, different places. And they can swell for all sorts of reasons. Common cold is one of them. You can have swollen lymph nodes. But it's very rare that a common cold would cause your lymph node to swell up like a golf ball. 
that is usually means cancer. So we found that out and then she had to have the lymph nodes removed and they decided to just remove all of them to be double sure, all 27 of them. So she got booked in for the operation and that was a time as well because remember, we weren't telling Joshua any of this. It was completely secret and that's difficult to hide a thing like that from a 10-year-old, to hide your worry, your hushed conversations, your, you know, frequent hospital visits, all of that stuff. We kept it from him. And Joshua went up to stay with my mum for a few days. It was at the summer holidays whilst um, Sarah was having her operation. So that made that kind of easier. But even that was not easy because, you know, she had these 27 lymph nodes out and bless her. It was a it was quite a traumatic thing. It's a big operation. It is a major operation because it completely limits your movement. You can't lift your arms at all. She still has no feeling in certain parts of her arm. They said that numbness may lift and you may feel normal again, or it may be like that forever. So you have to be very careful of that. You also have to be careful of not getting a thing called lipedema, which is when fluid gathers in your arm or, or any of your joints and causes them to swell. So if you ever see someone who's got like one really fat arm and one regular size looking, regular, I mean, in proportion to the rest of their body, but one arm, which is noticeably bigger, the chances are they've got lipedema. That can happen in your legs, you know, other places as well. So to try and stop you from getting lipedema, what they do is they put two giant metal spikes and they're basically like the length of a conductor's rod and they're thin metal though. Like, you know what they look like? You know, at the end of a bicycle pump, that long metal piece that goes into the tire, they essentially look like that. But um, now, is it a balloon pump? What kind of pump is it that has that? You know, the pump with a long metal thing. Anyway, that... But, but they're quite long. They're about as long as a forearm. And they go up, sort of, they go in roughly around the base of your ribs on the side and right up into your armpit, which is incredibly uncomfortable, I, I, I'm told. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have it. Sarah had it. So she had a couple of days in hospital and then she was let out because she healed like nobody's business. I think they thought they had Wolverine on the table. You know, she was draining perfectly. She was... Um, recovering her scars looked brilliant everybody was very very happy with the progress so they let her out a day early and um that was very good but she still had to keep one of those metal things in for up to two weeks and then she was released home now at the base of that metal thing was a long tube and that tube went into you know the kind of sports bottle that one might mix protein powder in <laughs> one of those that size of clear bottle and the bottle was essentially draining fluid and that fluid was uh, lymphatic fluid and also a little bit of blood and other things like that so it was a kind of a it was a bit of a gross concoction really but the bottle needed to be clear because it had a measuring thing on the side and so she had to call the hospital every single day at the same time and report to them how much she had drained and when the drainage got under a certain amount, after however many days that took, she was then able to have the whole thing taken out, which she did almost a week earlier than they expected her to because she heals like a dream. And so um, she's just perfect, isn't she? My lovely little Sarah. Um, she's, a, she's a dream. But uh, she healed great. So they got the tubes and stuff out. And even now, you know, it's quite a bit after that. But 
Is it 10 weeks? When did she have the op? Hang on, I've, it's in my diary. I put it in my diary when she was having the op. Um, it'll say Sarah op at some point. Hold on, I'm flicking through the diary. I got the diary out because I knew there'd be stories. Okay, so she had the op on the 5th of August. And today, yeah, 26th September. So it's basically 10 weeks ago. Even now, 10 weeks after the operation, she is still has pain. She still has limited mobility. It's getting a lot better and it really has been a lot better, but she still has limited mobility and pain and other stuff like that, which is not ideal. But um, I've got to say, she almost never mentions it, really. You know, she just cracks on. Um, sorry, I accidentally touched the space bar then and my computer went boom. Uh, yeah, no, she really honestly never mentions it. She just carries on. I know she's in more pain than she says. I know it's more of a struggle than she ever makes out, but she just carries on. Um, and that is obviously amazing. So that's where we're at. So then we had another good bit of time where we were waiting for the results because once they take all of your lymph nodes out, all 27 of them, they then biopsy every single one of those lymph nodes. And if you have cancer in multiple lymph nodes, then you are liable for extra treatment. We thought that would be radiotherapy, chemotherapy, some sort of thing. We didn't know exactly. But if it's only in the original single one that swelled up, then they say that essentially your body caught that cancer, held onto it, didn't allow it to spread anywhere else. And now that all of the lymph nodes are out and only one of them had the cancer in, you are effectively cancer-free and cured. And if that tends to be the, if that turns out to be the case, then you get offered immunotherapy and the immunotherapy is only a future preventative medication and it's elective. You don't have to have it, but obviously you'd be stupid not to. But um, you get offered immunotherapy if they say you are now cancer free and that's the very best thing that can happen. Anyway, Sarah will start her immunotherapy at some point in November, we believe. So. Sorry, I'm still here. Just give me a sec. It's really weird. The whole time I was telling this story, a little flash came in a brain where I was thinking, I can't believe how easily I'm telling this story and that I haven't cried. <laughs> and then as soon as I said the thing about Sarah's going to start her immunotherapy, um, that kind of emotion of how relieved and and happy I am of how... <laughs> I'm going to, oh God, my instinct now is to just stop recording and come back in a few minutes, but I don't want to do that because I want to try and fully express what this has been like, because that's sort of the point of this thing. Um, I can't tell you how difficult a cancer diagnosis coming in your immediate sphere is to deal with, whether it's you who has it or your immediate, you know, um, other half, or your child, or your parent, or someone like that. But I think your wife or your child are probably the worst two cases, because it's so immediate, it's so affecting, and it changes the way that you think and feel about everything. And it doesn't just change what you're doing then, it changes you forever. Because once somebody's had cancer that you 
love so much and that is so immediately in your everyday life, you have that fear forever. It never goes away. It's calm. And now we just feel happy. But it, the time when you're battling that thing, and remember, this cancer diagnosis, the whole process was like three or four months. So it's a huge chunk of time for that to be the main thing that's going on in your life. And it's even affected Sarah and I now, since it's been over, we had a little bit of a stumble since it was over of kind of not not getting on, but like a weird tension between us or like a weird sort of being a bit more shitty than we'd been or being a bit more argumentative or whatever. And I've thought about it a lot. I've really, really thought about it because we've come through so much together, Sarah and I as a couple. You know, we've been together for nearly a decade and a half, which I realise people have been together longer than that. But for us, I mean, for me, my relationship with Sarah is in a few years, it will account for half of my life. You know, Sarah and I got together when I was 23. I'm currently 37. So we're not a million miles away from that relationship accounting for half of my entire life. And that's big, you know, and and we've never had that many fallings out. We've never really been a couple who have huge arguments. Probably on a, we probably averaged one big row a year, <laughs> which is good going because some people have screaming, crying, smash the house up rows on a daily basis or on a weekly basis. Sarah and I, it's very, very, very rare. Um, honestly, it's, you know, even through COVID, through being trapped in the house for two years, we never really fell out. It just, we're just all right, you know. And then we've had this little period since that. And what I think it comes down to, uh, you'll have to forgive me for stumbling again a little bit as well, because this podcast has always been the one place that I kind of speak with a bizarre openness in the hope that it helps me and saves me money paying for therapy. (laughs) But also in the hope that it helps somebody else understand that they're difficult issues and things. They're not the only person who feels how they feel about stuff. I aim to try and be open on this so that you can really, you know, no holds barred, um, sort of understand someone else's emotions or feelings or whatever. But it's been 103 days and I'm a bit out of practice. So I keep going to say things and then think, I can't say that. It's too personal. But then realising that that's the point and that I got used to that over a couple of years. So I, I'm going to get used to it again. Um, so so when I've thought about it more and more, the the thing with it is, is that when someone has a cancer diagnosis, you know who you are when you're fighting that together. You know who you are as a couple because it becomes everything. We are the couple that is fighting cancer. And in our case, you know, fairly privately, I told friends, but Sarah a lot of the time kept it to herself. We tried not to worry other people with stuff as much as we could. Um, It's sort of, you know who you are together. Every time you look at each other, there's a kind of tacit, agreement a nod that we're doing this we are fighting this thing and then when that's done with you sort of don't know who you are without it you know imagine you both have the same hobby you both love watercolor painting 
I'm about to compare cancer, by the way, to watercolour painting. Um, <laughs> imagine you both love watercolour painting. You both watch Bob Ross. You both paint stuff. On a weekend, you love to get in the car and drive to some sort of lake or castle, get all your stuff out, sit next to each other and paint the thing together. And even if painting the thing together doesn't involve talking, you're still there together doing the same thing. And then you both decide that you don't like watercolour painting anymore or watercolour painting gets banned. You then have to work out who you are as a couple without watercolour painting. And that, in some respects, is kind of like fighting cancer because it becomes so all-encompassing. It takes up your every thought and feeling. And for a huge part as well, there are tiny things that I would be annoyed with with Sarah, tiny things that you would mention. You'd say, like in our house, it's when Sarah straightens her hair in the bedroom. You know, if she's got product on her hair, like hairspray or whatever from the day before, or, you know, just, women's hair is weird, isn't it? But if she's got product or whatever in her hair and she straightens her hair in the bedroom in the morning, what happens is it creates a kind of density in the air, like the chemical evaporates and it becomes a fog which is in the bedroom and if I'm asleep with my mouth open as I so frequently am potentially breathing through my mouth it gives me a terrible throat and Sarah doesn't believe that it's as bad as it actually is for me but I hate it it always makes me feel ill for about an hour after I wake up even if she does it for like two minutes it would it still gets to me but where else is she going to straighten her hair and so it's just one of the, and I go, well, open the window. She'll go, but I'll freeze. And, I, and it annoys me. And I would typically have a go at that quite easily because it's funny. Like for all I'm annoyed about it, I'm not really annoyed. It's like a minor frustration, isn't it? If I say that to her and she goes, well, what am I supposed to get ready? That's like our fake argument. Nobody's actually pissed off, I don't think. But it's as close to an argument as we ever really get. But during this time when she was fighting cancer, um, I wouldn't bring that stuff up. I would think, you know what? There are more important things in this world than that. When you start to even contemplate against all of your better will, the idea of losing someone, nothing that they do that annoyed you previously annoys you anymore. It just goes. But then when you realize they're gonna live, they start to piss you off again. <laughs> oh, God. Is that funny or dark? So we both sort of got a bit shitty with each other in more recent weeks since we got the best news. It's really weird. There's like a honeymoon period of finding out that you're going to be okay. Sarah actually had a weird period of guilt where she felt like, she, and this again is very open, but she, she felt like she didn't get ill enough to justify being off work and stuff. Sarah has, a, I've said this before on the podcast, but 
Sarah has a tremendous amount of working class guilt. If she's not working a lot or working very hard, she feels like she should be and she can't handle it. She hates being off work. She hates not working hard. She feels like that she could be doing something else or something more or just being more involved to make things happen. And and I think of that as being essentially a working class guilt. It's not something that you have to have if you're a magician or a comedian. You have to let working class guilt go. I'm still working class. I just don't feel guilty about it. <laughs> but anyway, she sort of has that. So being off work, she found very difficult. And then going back to work and seeing all of her workmates, but whilst essentially still looking the same, um, while still... Um, What's it called? While still, um, still, you know, keeping a hair, keeping a sort of complexion, not losing loads of weight, all those things that tell you someone's got cancer. You know, if someone's bald and skinny and pale, you think, fuck me, they got cancer. If someone's got a bit of a tan, still got all their hair and they look healthy, you don't think they got cancer. So I think Sarah felt guilty going back to work, not looking like she'd had cancer you know she wanted to kind of justify the fact that she'd had two months off was it two months i think it might have been a bit less than that but um six weeks but she felt very guilty about that which is strange but you know people feel all sorts of things for all sorts of reasons especially when they're battling something like that so a huge part of the the journey for sarah and i since it's been sort of good news is is working out who you are again without that you know, look into the future again without this horrible cloud hanging over it. And so Sarah had all 27 of the lymph nodes out. It was only in one lymph node, which is phenomenally brilliant news. And she's been offered immunotherapy, which she is, of course, going to take. And that hopefully will stop it ever from coming back into our lives again. And like a great many people, we have been incredibly lucky she was unlucky to get the cancer that she got. They said that, you know, it must have just broken off when she got that skin lymphoma taken off, um, melanoma taken off. And, you know, maybe one cell just made it into her body and travelled along the tubes and got wedged in lymph nodes. They said that was very unlucky. But hopefully now we'll continue to be lucky and that's it done. And, and there's no reason why it shouldn't be, by the way. So like a great many people who get cancer, it looks like we've lived to see a very good ending and things are going to be happy. But I can't let this story sort of pass. And there'll be more about it in the future, no doubt, as more of it unravels and we work out how we feel. And I mean, I'll have Sarah on the podcast next week to talk about it a little bit and maybe, you know, see how she feels and put her own perspective in as well. Um but, and also, I know that many of you like the podcast better when Sarah's in it, <laughs> instead of just me talking shit. But, um, but that's, I can't let it pass without sort of passing the really deepest, most heartfelt thoughts to people who aren't as lucky. So many people get diagnosed with this and they have to learn to live with cancer, which must be terrifying. That's like walking around with a cloud over your head all the time. So many people get given a sort of clock of this is how long you have. And so, so frequently that clock is not as long as they originally tell you it's going to be. You know, Sarah's auntie was diagnosed with um, lung cancer and they said, um, we're going to start chemotherapy and radiotherapy immediately. And that may add 
up to five years onto your life. Imagine being told, I mean, this story gets worse, by the way, but imagine being told if you really fight and if we're lucky, you might live five years and knowing that three out of five of those years are going to be very uncomfortable because even if one of them is sort of, one of them's going to be taken up by an incredibly difficult battle and fight and psychological thing. The last two are going to be the same where you may just be perishing and you might get one or two in the middle that are not bad. It's awful. It's fucked up. The fact that the world has this in it is just unbearably sad and awful. But she was told that, you know, you have really severe, bad spread lung cancer. Um, we might be able to add five years on your life. Two weeks later, she died. And and that's heartbreaking. It's utterly awful. Um, Sarah was devastated about it. Obviously, the whole family were devastated about it. And it kind of came less than two weeks after we'd had Sarah's good news. It's just brutal. Cancer is the worst. I don't think I need to say that. But, you know, if, if it hasn't become part of your life, you're very lucky. And I hope it stays that way for you. And if it does, just know that a lot of people do very well. Apparently 50% of people get cancer now and half the people you know are not dead. So I focused on that as a statistic uh, and kept me very positive. And there were times when Sarah's thing looked like it could be the absolute worst. And it's worked out perfectly fine, it seems, touch wood. So, you know, that's that's cancer, basically. That's that chat. It was quite a long one, I appreciate but I feel like that's the main thing that's happened in the 103 days since. And I saw some friends who I know listen to the podcast, um, mainly Mandy and Moira, uh, both in Magic, who asked me about it and said, you know, is that why you stopped doing the pod because of what was going on? And yeah, it kind of was. I found that the main reason I stopped before... My enthusiasm waned a little bit, obviously, and I talked about that fairly openly. But the main thing was that the whole point of this podcast was always to be honest. And the two conflicting things that took place in my head with Sarah being diagnosed with cancer were that I couldn't be honest about it. I, I wasn't, I couldn't lie to you about it. I just couldn't because that goes against the whole point of the podcast. But also I wasn't ready to be honest about it. And because it was the main thing going on in life, I just had to stop until it worked out, until I knew what was going to happen. And then that all happened. And that was, you know, a month ago now, since we basically had that. Well, actually, the good news was only um, a couple of, was it one, two? It was two and a half weeks ago since we got the good news, essentially. Um, it was Friday the 9th of September. And it's the 26th today as I record this. So, yeah. It was two and a half weeks ago since we got the good news. And I'd started thinking about doing the podcast again then straight away. But I still wasn't ready because I couldn't bring myself to tell the story. It was still a bit too raw. But now with a couple of weeks perspective on it and the fear gone that the hospital were going to ring and say, oh, sorry, we made a mistake. Can you come back in? Because that happens a lot as well. Every time you get a tiny bit of respite from it and you feel like it's going to be okay, you get a phone call that's like, oh, by the way, we've looked at this. Can you come in and talk to us in three days? So then you spend three days shitting yourself again that something awful is going to happen. And it took a couple of weeks of just, God, this is actually over before I felt ready to record this. So I've been thinking about it for a couple of weeks, but here I am at last back. 
So we got that news on Friday the 9th, and then on the Monday we went to Benidorm again, <laughs> which was great. It was our third holiday to Benidorm this year. That's crazy, isn't it? I just have loved it so much. Honestly, I've, I've had an absolute love affair with Benidorm this year. I can't get enough of it. It's been brilliant. One of my favourite places in the world to go. I love the food there. I love the place. I love running along the beach. I run on the path next to the beach, but I love running across the front. It's just been brilliant. So that's the cancer journey. Um, I hope it helps somebody in some way. That's all I can say. But that is the end of chatting about cancer for now. So let's look into the notes and let's look at the diary and we'll see what goes on. So in the meantime uh, of that happening, the operation was August 5th. So that's as far back as I'm going because I stopped the podcast, obviously, uh, just a bit before that. Um, We had another holiday in Benidorm in the middle of the sort of uh, summer. Was it the second... Was it August? Did we go? Yeah, we did. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was July, sorry. So the second week of July, we went to Benidorm, uh, and that was great. That was before the operation. That was it. Um, then she had the op, and then... Okay, oh, then I did the IBM convention. I was just me- mentioning Moira. Moira put it together. She got me on the bill. I went up and did, went down, sorry, to Eastbourne and did the IBM convention. That was a lot of fun. I loved that. One of the things that was a bit scary about that is that doing your show for magicians is always weird. I'm about to open a drink, by the way. It's another one of these Coca-Cola limited edition zero sugar drinks. This one is called Dream World. And typically it says who it's in collaboration with. There was a collaboration with a someone called Marshmallow. I thought that was the flavour and they'd spelled it wrong, but it turned out to be a rapper or something. That's how cool I am. That was the sound of me opening. Bit of ASMR, listen to this. Can you hear the bubbles? Now, it's called Dream World. It smells like a sort of cotton candy or like a push pop, like a strawberry push pop. And it tastes like... It tastes weird. It tastes like Coca-Cola. It's not as nice as the other one that I like, the Intergalactic. It does have a bit of a strawberry grapefruit feeling to it. It's also got that kind of mouthfeel of cream soda. You know, that kind of certain almost caramelized vibe. But it is, it's like a strawberry, I don't know. I'm going to Google and see what it's meant to taste like. What does Coca-Cola Dream World taste like? Um, Okay, let's see. It's just loading. I had a really long message appear there. The computer's going uh, ruthlessly slow. I'm not sure why. Bear with. Um... What is cut? Sorry. Oh, here we go. Okay. Oh, well, it just says it has a fruity and citrusy taste. Um, ah, that's interesting. Okay. It says Dream World tastes like it's soaked in sour peach rings. I can sort of see that. Yeah, it is a fruity aroma. Citrus and mango taste. Yeah, I'd go for that as well. 
a citrusy, fruity thing. Yeah. Um, I'm sending back some glasses, some Polaroid vibe glasses. I'll come on to that as well. God. Um, okay, so where are we? Notes. <clears throat> Sorry, friends. That happens every now and again while I'm recording, doesn't it? So we, uh, I did the IBM, and I was performing my show for magicians, and they were a good crowd, which is weird. I always have a line when I do shows for magicians where I always say, uh, because we don't enjoy magic shows in the same way as normal people do. The sort of the main element to a magic show is surprise. And when a magician watches a magic show, the element of surprise is inevitably removed for a huge percentage of it because they know the tricks you're doing. If I take out a cup and a ball, then a magician audience knows that at the end of that trick, the ball's going to have vanished and appeared multiple times. And ultimately, a lemon and an orange are going to appear under the cup at the end. <laughs> so it's harder to take them on a journey of surprise. But they enjoy things in different ways. They don't laugh at the jokes in the same way. or So I always do a little line where I say, don't worry about laughing at the jokes. The sound of scribbling pens will be enough. Because the joke there is that these gags are not funny enough for you to laugh at, but they're funny enough for you to steal and put in your own acts, which I think they appreciate. And that always gets a big laugh. And so I said that, that kind of loosened things up. I ended up having a really fun show and I enjoyed it a lot. And I got loads of nice compliments and comments during the day and I was at ease. I got to hang out with some really good friends and um, it was brilliant. I actually saw quite a few friends from the Call of Duty group of friends, magicians, that I made through uh, lockdown. And that was a good friend group for me. That got me through lockdown a lot. But the first time we ever hung out was also since recording the last podcast. It was at the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, I went up there and I saw them during the Edinburgh Fringe and we all got to hang out together and that was really nice. So shout out to those guys, to uh, Elliot Bibby, to Tom Jester Mullinger, to Tom Bolton and to Cameron Gibson, uh, who I saw at the Ed Fringe, but also saw a few of them at the uh, IBM Eastbourne. IBM in this case stands for International Brotherhood of Magicians rather than uh, International Business Machines. I wonder if they'll change their slogan because they have women in it as well. So should it be the International Alliance or Allegiance or Association of Magicians or something like that instead of Brotherhood? It's kind of uh, anachronistic in a way, isn't it? That it's still gender centered. Um, I don't know. But anyway, that's a thing. So I did that. We went to Edinburgh. Edinburgh was brilliant as well. So loads of good acts, loads of good magic, loads of good comedy. That's the sort of story that I'd have spun out for half an hour. But as it was two months ago, I'm just going to carry on or a month ago, should I say, and get more to things that happened this week. Because once I've given you the big fact, which was obviously the cancer thing, um, if I'm going to do this podcast weekly, I'm just going to have to talk about what happens every week. And we'll have to skip a couple of months in my life because the main thing was that one the, the main things that happened aside from that were that I performed at my friend Helen's birthday, looking in my diary, which was a lot of fun, because she didn't know that I was going to be there. And I turned up and I had a Guess Who board game that I'd bought, and I was holding it above my face. And I walked in and she was like, it isn't, it can't be. Is it? Surely it's not. And I dropped the board game and she saw it was me. And I cried her eyes out and was over the moon. Then I did a birth, I did a magic show for her and all the people at the party, which they loved and it was great. Helen and I were friends when I was uh, 20 and I was working in Blackpool and I was the presenter on a team and she was the vocalist. And so we were good friends then. But 
we didn't talk for ages. And then when I did pantomime in Mansfield, her and her husband, Chris, lived like six miles away from the theatre. And I posted on Facebook if anybody knew any digs over Christmas. And they offered for me to go and live with them. And I lived with them for seven weeks over the pantomime. And uh, it was brilliant. And we all got on with it like a house on fire. And me and her husband got on great as well and played old N64 games together and stuff. And it was class. I really loved it. And so that kind of reaffirmed our friendship after a long time. And we stayed in touch ever since. So performing at her birthday as a surprise was really brilliant. It was a long day because I did Devon Cliffs that day. And they live near Nottingham. So I got up at 5 a.m., drove to Devon, did a magic show, then drove another five hours or whatever it was to Nottingham and did another magic show, then drove two and a half hours home and got in bed. <laughs> but it was good. Uh, we had a second Benidorm holiday. That was just a couple of weeks ago. And that was brilliant as well. It was a lot cooler. It was still in the 30s, 30, 31 degrees, but it was a lot cooler. Loads of nice tapas again. And the main thing that happened on that holiday that I enjoyed is I really started getting better at running. So... I'm still doing well on the weight loss. I'm still, I don't know my exact weight today. I will get back to you with that. Uh, maybe next week. Um, sorry, I'm just, I ate some peanut M&Ms before I started recording. And um, peanuts always make me feel a bit weird, but I like them. Not allergic or anything, but I had a bit of a throat thing then. It felt a bit like I was about to die, but I'm here. Um, yeah, so I started running because I, I got a bit, a bit bored of the peloton, you know, doing the same thing every day. I got really good, by the way. I hit um, 12 miles in a single 30-minute ride one day. But I got pretty good at it, but it started getting a bit boring. So I started mixing it up with running. And now I'm predominantly just running. I am planning in this week to alternate a run, a cycle, a run, a cycle every day. But because of various activities over the weekends, exercise and whatnot... Um, I've pulled a few muscles. I've pulled muscles in my arse cheeks. I mean, there's no way to describe this other than the truth. Yesterday, I got home. Sarah had had a bath <laughs> and was on the bed lying there uh, almost nude because she was relaxing from post-bath. So I said, me and you are going to make this happen. And following a fairly vigorous um, cuddle... <laughs> a vigorous cuddle that's how i'm describing it forever from now on sarah and i had a vigorous cuddle and i pulled a muscle in my ass cheek that's all that's the only way i can describe it to you so yeah i, I can't run or cycle today my ass cheek is killing I can barely sit down honestly it's very painful it's a gluteal something i looked it up but um, yeah, my butt, my butt's hurting. So did that, and now I can't run or cycle today. But tomorrow I'm going to start again, and I'm going to alternate cycling and running every other day. I think, and I got I got under thirty minutes for five k last week. I was in Great Yarmouth, and I ran along the front of the beach, and I did five k in twenty nine minutes and twenty five seconds, which I was thrilled about. I'm really, really enjoying running. That's been a good. Th I've always wanted to be someone who ran. It feels very honest running. Something about just putting on running shoes and shorts and t-shirt and all that and getting out there. It feels very honest. And also, nobody can take it away from you. When you post your 5K time, 
It's an undeniable record of a thing that you can do that's quantifiable against the rest of the world. And there's something about that that I enjoy. It's just honest exercise. I bought a great watch, a Garmin watch, which allows you to download your Spotify playlists into the watch. And then the watch wirelessly connects to your headphones. I bought Beats, Dr. Dre, Beats, in-ears. And um, they're wireless, of course. So you just put them in your ears, you connect to the watch, and it allows you to listen to music, but simultaneously um, tracks your run and gives you a map of where you ran and all that sort of stuff. It's really good. So I got that as well. And I'm really, really enjoying running. So I look forward to running tomorrow is the main thing right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run tomorrow and hopefully my arse cheeks feel better. We'll have to be careful with the old vigorous cuddles. <laughs> oh, God. You know what's funny? I don't want to run because my bum's hurting. But if Sarah said to me again tonight, do you want to do, do that again? I would. I'd risk the injury. <laughs> but anyway, so that went on. And uh, I enjoyed running in Benidorm. That's when I really found my sort of metaphorical and literal stride. Something happened while I was running in Benidorm where I just like, instead of sluggishly pounding the pavement, I sort of found a bit of a lightness in my step that allowed me to knock a couple of minutes off my best time and just breathing in time with the running and a few things just clicked into place and I got better at running and I enjoyed that a lot and I'm going to continue to enjoy it going forward. So that's running and the holiday and that basically brings us up to where we are now because that was Great Yarmouth last week. Not a huge amount happens, you know, um, there's nothing new under the sun as they say. Most of the weeks just continue to go around. The main thing is just what's you know what's the most recent thing that's annoyed me um so let's look in the notes well i was gigging at caster holiday park the other week last week at great armouth my microphone was making a weird noise and i thought it must be so when the micro when it comes to the microphone you've sort of got the pack and then you've got the headset and the headset has a thin wire that plugs into the pack and usually it's if the mic breaks down it's that cable so I'm talking to the audience and I said, look, I, I can't wear this and have this noise happen because I know it will annoy you. So I'm going to change it. But the spare is in the boot of the car, <laughs> the trunk. This is mid-show, by the way. This is during the show. This is all happening. So um, I tell them I'm going to go down that corridor. I'm going to kick the fire door open, step out to the car. It's literally 20 steps away open the boot, get the spare mic, come back on stage, and I will change the mic cable on stage in front of you guys while I continue to talk to you. There'll be no break in the show. I go to the boot, kick the fire door open, step outside, open the boot, see that the mic's there, take it out of the boot, close the boot, the trunk, lock the car, turn around, the fire door's closed. I'm locked outside, mid-show. And I think, well, this is no problem. Because I'm, on, I'm still talking to the audience. I'm on the mic. So I say, oh, slight problem, guys. Uh, the fire door's closed and I'm stuck outside thinking that one of the team will hear that and immediately rush to my rescue and come and get me. That did not happen. So I say again, genuinely not kidding. If someone could come and open the fire door, that would be amazing. Nobody comes. So I bang on the door. One of the team opens the door. You all right? Yeah, why didn't you let me in? Oh, we didn't know you were stuck. I said, how can you not know I'm stuck? I said it on the mic. Ah, uh, well, as soon as you went off stage, the mic noise got worse. So we muted the microphone. So I've been outside talking to my bloody self. Nobody's been able to hear any of it. And I've been standing out there chatting away. 
<laughs> Ridiculous. So that was a bad event that happened. But uh, the audience, when I told them, they thought it was hilarious, obviously. And I suppose in a lot of ways, it was. It was hilarious. Um, I had a big... Oh, I've got a few a few things, actually, which I might have to save for next week. So I'm already generating next week's material. The car broke down. I'll tell you about that. I had a nine-hour round-trip drive to be there for Joshua. I'll tell you about that. That was a good thing, actually, because Sarah was on a big works do. And um, she got on famously with everyone. And, you know, that's a nice thing. Um, travel Lodge Choc... Oh, yeah. So I um, I had a... This actually links to last night. Last night, because my arse cheeks were hurting... I decided that what I would do is get a bath. And Joshua's on a residential school trip at the minute. He's gone away to a place. It's called Boric Hall. And uh, they're doing orienteering and climbing and whatever else. And camping skills and all that. But they're staying in dormitories and the teacher's gone with them and all this other stuff. But it started today. And last night, Joshua was in bed already. Sarah was going to bed. It was like half past ten. And I said to Sarah, should I have a bath now? And she said, well, you might as well if you're not ready for bed because I'm going to bed. So you might as well. Which puts that other story about a vigorous cuddle into more perspective. It wasn't even night time. I'm all about that, you know. If you're going to do that sort of thing, middle of the day is the one. Waiting until you go to bed. It's no good to anyone. It's all right if it's spontaneous. But, um, you know, you can't plan for that because you always end up having takeaway or feeling too tired. <laughs> but in the middle of the day, let's get it on. But anyway, so she was going to bed. Joshua was already in bed. I'm thinking bath time. I get in the bath at about half ten. Sarah comes down. She's just putting everything away and closing up and stuff uh, by 11. And she goes, don't fall asleep in the bath. You know you'll regret it. And I go, oh, don't worry, I'll be fine. Half past three, 3.30 a.m. I woke up in the bath. The water somehow was still warm. I, I was cold, obviously, comparatively. But uh, I woke up in the bath and I did the same thing the other week in the travel lodge. I get to the travel lodge and I want to read some notes that I've got about magic. These notebook things that I bought. I read one of them and I feel like I'm getting tired. So I put it down on a chair that I'd brought into the bathroom and um, I fall asleep. I wake up in the bath. It's like 2 a.m. But the funniest part was I bought a box of two Marks and Spencer's best ever chocolate eclairs. Now, I love a chocolate eclair. It's one of my favorite things. But um, the Marks and Spencer's ones are unbelievable. So I, I'm eating one of them in the bath and I finish it. Then I start the second one and I fall asleep halfway through eating this chocolate eclair. And I wake up <laughs> hours later. My phone is on my chest, but my chest is out of the water, obviously. Even though I'm laid back, you know, these travel lodge baths are not exactly deep. And clutched in my hand is the remnants of a melted but still recognisable chocolate eclair. This is like after 2am, I've been asleep in the bath for a few hours. I wake up, I put my phone on the chair, I stand up, I shove the rest of the chocolate eclair that's left into my mouth and I turn the shower on. And as I'm showering in the bath, because they're both together, I pull the plug out so the water can drain. And uh, I, I get the shower just to clean off and get in bed. But waking up with like clutching a chocolate eclair, that's a bad one, isn't it? And I love chocolate eclairs so much. The other morning I was at services because I did my owner's exclusive show, The um, Vanishing Elephant, down in Hastings, which is a good five-hour drive from where I live. So I got up again at 5 a.m. to get down there. And I stopped at Beaconsfield services at 9, and somehow the KFC was open and people were queuing for it. 
And I saw someone come out with food like that, burgers and stuff, while I'm sitting in the car. And it was 5 to 9, 8.55am. And someone's clutching a burger. And I'm thinking, what an inappropriate thing to be eating at 5 to 9. And then I look down at my own hands and I'm eating a chocolate eclair. <laughs> and I think, well, I suppose if you can eat a chocolate eclair at 9am, you can eat a KFC. So it is what it is. Let's not worry about that. Um... Next week, when I come back, I'm going to tell you... Oh, my God. The other thing that happened at Beaconsfield is I got a sausage sandwich, a, a, a Cumberland. If you don't know, a Cumberland sausage is a curly sausage, like a pig's tail in a cartoon. It's like a wheel of sausage, and it perfectly fits inside of the bun or the bap or the bread roll or whatever you call it, wherever you're from. It perfectly fits inside of that. It circles around until it fills the inside of one of them, laid flat, of course. And... um. As I'm getting in the car, I drop the bag with the sandwich in and the Cumberland sausage makes its way out of the out of the bread roll, out of the bap, the bun, makes its way out of the bag and rolls, rolls, I tell you, a Cumberland sausage rolling away from the car and lands on a spot. Now, luckily, it was a it was a painted double yellow line and the double yellow line was clean and there was no ordinary pavement. Obviously, the side of the sausage had touched the ordinary pavement. So I picked it up and I put it on the bag and I got in the car and I examined it thoroughly and it looked okay to me. <laughs> so I got a baby wipe out and I used a baby wipe to wipe around the edge of my sausage and then the top and bottom and then I put it back in the bun. I put tomato ketchup on it and I ate it. Five second rule. It's a service station. That was a four pound sausage sandwich. You think I'm just going to throw it away because it's touched the ground? No way. So I wiped it. I wiped. <laughs> I wiped. I wiped down my sausage with a baby wipe, which I always keep in the car in case I shit myself. I put the ketchup on and I ate it. And you know what? I think you would have done the same. Can't just go throwing things away and giving up like that. No way. We will fight on. If Sarah can beat cancer. I can eat a Cumberland sausage that's rolled across the floor a little bit. We are capable of more than we know. Do not go gentle into that good night. Right, fuck it. Let's end the podcast with a poem uh, because it's 57 minutes 44. So I'm going to fit because you only get 60 minutes. Otherwise, you've got to start another recording. So here we go. In the last two minutes and eight seconds, I'm going to read this poem and then I'm going to say goodbye. <clears throat> Dylan Thomas, do not go gentle into that good night. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end, no dark is right. Because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright, their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight. Blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. That is my favourite poem 
by Dylan Thomas. Um, I just think it's brilliant. It's about not giving up, isn't it? It's about if you if you finish life and your knees still work, your you know hair is perfect, your skin isn't blotched with sun or or any of those things. It means you didn't live it hard enough. Go out there, eat the meal, do the run, live every second. Don't die easily. Rage against the dying of the light. Refuse to go down without a fight. That's basically what that poem is about. And that's what we should all do. And we'll talk about that more next week. We'll talk about my breakdown. We'll talk about me getting pulled over by Welsh police and all sorts of stuff. Can't wait to tell you. See you next week. Bye, friends.